Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, for our longtime listeners, you know that at Jew in the City, we like to present a range of different guests here who generally come from Orthodox backgrounds um, and in some way break down a stereotype or show a different idea of what an Orthodox Jew might be compared to what people generally think Orthodox Jews um, do or have interests in. Um, you know, one area that I think women in general are underrepresented in uh, is the area of STEM. I happen to have uh, my older daughter happens to be a big fan of this. So we're very into um, promoting STEM for, you know, for women in general, for Orthodox women. Um, today we have joining with us uh, Dr. Maya Lebo. She is a PhD neuroscientist, author, consultant, popular science lecturer, and entrepreneur. She recently wrote a children's book called Sugar High about the dangers of sugar. My son will probably not be so happy about that. We can discuss that soon. <laughs> um, but um, um, I'm very excited for you to join us here today. So thank you so much for, uh, for coming on to the show, Maya. Thank you for having me. Thrilled to be here. Um, and I hope your son will get something out of it, too. It's not supposed to be a torturous experience. <laughs> because he has a, a real affinity to sugar. The other day I made them um, French toast and I actually put the maple syrup into the batter. So it really should be sweetened enough. But both of my boys really have affinity to sugar. So I let them sometimes sprinkle on a little bit of powdered sugar. Um, and my husband mm -hmm. just let my husband left the bag on the table and he didn't realize that like that is a no-no with these boys because when I came back, there were like mounds of sugar that they were licking and like the French toast was kind of, you know, somewhere left in there. And I said like, you, you can't do that with these children. So yes, they, they have a, you know, an affinity towards it, but um, maybe well, we have it, to book it is an addictive substance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So first, yeah. so we, we are going to talk a little bit about um, where your passion with sugar began, but First, let's talk about um, Maya Lebo as the Orthodox Jew and neuroscientist. So tell us, where are you from originally? What's your Jewish background and education growing up? Um, so I'm from Los Angeles. And um, as a, as a you know, in elementary school, I went to actually Harkham Hillel Hebrew Academy. So shout out to an alumni. I still have also family that goes there and, uh, you know, nephews that go there. Um, and so I was, you know, I actually did go to like a Jewish day school growing up, um, at some point due to, I don't know, maybe financial reasons, I did switch, um, to a more public, uh, to a public school setting. And then through high school, I did feel a little bit different. And then in college, when I went to college, then I immediately got back into, um, you know, like Jewish activism, going to Hillel on Shabbat. And, you know, also it was the height of the second intifada. So a lot of Israel stuff going on. And um, yeah, it just can't I just, you know, all came back. You know, I had, you know, years of it. And uh, even though I grew up in a very traditional home, I had a little gap, but then came back. So that's uh that's it in a nutshell really and at some point i made aliyah also um so yeah here in israel um and where would you say you're, what community would you say you're part of today in terms of the orthodox world so we're hasidish uh specifically we're slonimer hasidish and that was um yeah my husband's uh uh you know like a family background more um 
I think it's, yeah, it's a little different than how I grew up, which even the school I went to was a little more modern. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's a more Hamish side of things. I think in, in, in is like in America, you have a big community aspect to Judaism and in Israel, like if you don't have your family here, then you lose it. And I think with, um, you know, like a Hasidic community here in Israel, then you get like, it's a real, it's a more like a family feel. Like you do have that like community aspect, which is actually more common in the U.S., like in the regular show experience, you know, like splitting up tasks, making meals for people. And it's like exactly, it's exactly that. And I think in other um, sectors, maybe in Israel, because again, you know, people have family and whatever, then it's not as, you know, Hamish and, you know, everyone helping each other so much, you know, because everyone's doing their own thing. So you get that real sense of community and that's how it's uh, different and unique. So did you, were you already sort of drawn to um, Hasidic Judaism before you met your husband or were you observant and then you met him and he had this Lonan background and then you kind of went along with him? So, uh, so at the time, um, like we sort of, uh, he was more drawn, like, I think that my, in my soul, maybe that I was more Hasidic, but I wasn't, uh, like, and that might have drawn him, you know, more into it also, but then he, yeah, he, he started to, to really adopt it. And, you know, I went, I, I went with it because, you know, it, it was, I think it was, it was more internal to me too. Like I, I was more drawn to some of those, to some of those ideals and, you know, like, you know, I don't know, uh, the feeling, like I said, the community and like the stories and like the, a lot of the stuff that that's involved. Mm-hmm. So now tell us about your um, sort of professional background. So coming from a traditional background, it's not, I mean, it is unusual for women in general to get into, you know, STEM, but not as unusual for, you know, a Hasidic woman too. So um, when and why did you decide that you wanted to get into neuroscience? So I don't know, just in, in college, you know, when I was, you know, looking around at majors, I just was really like, it was actually very new. I have to say that like uh, in the 1990s, I think it was the NIH that they, they coined the 1990s, the decade of the brain, you know, like 2000 was going to be like, we were going to, it was the final frontier that was unknown. And so when I was in my first year of college, it was like a new major, even like we weren't our own major. We were an interdisciplinary major because there weren't enough teachers. And so we had professors from all sorts of fields, you know, biology and some computer science even, and linguistics and all sorts of things that were related to brain sciences. And now it's, like so much more accepted. And I think the draw was that also the number of psychiatric disorders were rising, which we're going to talk about maybe ADD in a second also, but also depression and whatever. And so people thought if we understand the brain, you know, then we're going to solve all these things. And this is the last thing that we don't understand. And so there was this draw to it that, you know, we're going to do something transformational. And um, sadly, there are no, you know, even just in the field in the last like 40 years, there have been no new psychiatric drugs or no new treatments on that end. Maybe some sort of tweaks, but nothing new. Um, So that's sort of, you know, disappointing. But I mean, I have a a brain connection besides having one. My father is a neurologist. So um, I mean, it's not same field, but, you know, some sort of uh, in, in the same universe of, uh, of study. So, um, 
Right. So you, you got the um, undergrad degree at UCLA, uh, sorry, at, uh, at UC Berkeley. Um, and right. then you were over at UCLA for, I see, a master's in neuroscience. And then you you went off to Israel for to the white. white so I was in the middle of my PhD in UCLA. And I just sort of, I left in the middle. Um, we decided to make Aliyah. And so I finished my PhD here. So it's like, yeah. So that's the, so I, I did my PhD, I finished my PhD at the Weizmann Institute here in Israel in neurobiology, neuroscience. And were you already Hasidic at that point or? Yeah, like for, from like the time, from before I got married, let's say from the time, uh, yeah, like when we had made, when I was started at UCLA already, we were um, moving in that direction um, even though, again, in the U.S., it's so different because, you know, you can be at a shul and like you can have like three Hasidic people and three Litvish people and, you know, all sorts of types of people and they're all dominating together. And so it doesn't stand out. You know, it's like, you know, everybody does their own thing and you're a part of a community and then you get to Israel and then you really have to choose a community. And that's just, you know. In, in a sense, I don't know if it's like a good thing or a bad thing, but like you really have to like put yourself in a box sort of in Israel yeah. um, in terms no, of I've schools seen, and everything. Else. Yeah. I've seen that we, we sort of look into Aliyah every couple of years and I also, we try to figure out what box we belong in. It feels pretty, pretty complicated. So what was that like? Being, what was that like being um, Hasidic on campus in these various campuses? Did it ever come up so, in terms breaking down stereotypes or being people being surprised that a Hasidic woman would be, you know, into science. So I'm going to give you a disappointing answer because I know you're working on this end and you're working on, you know, like uh, having people raise their awareness, but like it, people don't care, you know, like I work in a secular environment and I'm a Haredi woman and it doesn't matter if I'm Hasidic and nobody knows the difference between all the Rebbe's and it doesn't matter if I'm Litvish and it, it just doesn't matter, you know, and if something goes wrong in the community or there's something bad in the news, it's, you know, everybody's in the same boat. So even though we've put ourselves in boxes, mm-hmm. everyone just dumped us in one pile. <laughs> so, you know, your work is important. Versus, versus Haredi doesn't make a difference to, to the people at work. They just see you sort of I agree they see you as the box so I actually spoke to um a math like a mathematician uh, a professor of math at uh, I think at Caltech um and mm-hmm. he had a response when I asked if people cared sort of in the university setting and he said I'm a mathematician we all have quirks so this is mine so meaning like pretty <laughs> are all kind of like an interesting bunch so this is this is my thing um all and right. what about in terms of what about sort of scientists being more rational or you know atheists that sort of a thing I'm saying did that sort of you know science versus God did that stuff ever come up or people just polite and don't really um get into your business so I think the the issue is, is that there are fields of like, you know, biology where you're really looking at origins, whatever. And like in neuroscience, it's not an issue. You know, we're looking at these cells, we're looking at this. And so you can just not talk about it. It's not something we talk about, but people do mention, you know, things, but it's not, it's not a focus of what we do. And so it's just, it's a good field because, you know, there, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that's brought up all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Israel, there might be a little more sensitivity to it also, you know, that like, you know, don't make an, don't make such an issue out of it, but it really, it, it depends on the field. Like if you're not looking at the origins of things or like looking at, you know, worms and how they relate to whatever, then it's not, it's not an issue in day to day when we're talking about depression or ADD or PTSD or all these diseases that we work on. Um, and or so autism. that's, 
So that was sort of how um, the science world looks at you as the Haredi woman. Now let's flip it on its head and now ask, what does the Haredi Hasidic world think of you as the scientist? How, how does that work? Is it something weird? Is it something people look up to? Is it a mixed bag? So I, because of, you know, until I got comfortable with the, with the Hebrew and like, you know, giving lectures and whatever, I was sort of the quiet and, you know, I never told people what I did. One time somebody asked me, you know, what do I do? And I said, I worked in a lab and they were assuming that like, you know, as a phlebotomist, you know, working in like, you know, the, the, like taking blood from people or something like it wasn't really uh, something that they understood. Um, but late, but in the last maybe three years, I started saying, okay, look, there's a lot that the, 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 the public here just needs to know about basic health concepts and I need to step up. And, um, I started giving lectures and, um, I had a good, I had a good response, you know, and, and, and just this past summer I gave like, um, a lecture to 300 women in Jerusalem, and then for Rosh Hashanah, we were in Jerusalem, and then I saw people that were that were, had been in my lecture, and like everyone's like, "Oh, hi!" and they were like really receptive and asking questions. And so there's a thirst for knowledge. Mm-hmm. It is a little weird because you know it puts you in the spotlight, you know that you're different, and that's this whole thing of uh, like I'm trying to blend in, and then I'm different. But you know, I think it's it was important, and people respect it, and it and it's okay. So that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Um, do you think that sort of doing what you do and speaking now, do you think, have you gotten any sense that maybe there's some young girls out there that might look at what you do and say, hey, I, I might want to go into something science related as well? So I think um, for the like Haredi women, maybe who are from Israel and not from outside, because a lot of women that I do see in my field, um, they might be, again, foreign born. And so they're here thriving in, you know, in STEM. But if you, first of all, the Haredi women are very strong programmers. You know, there's a lot, a lot of women programmers. In terms of biological sciences, um, there's less, there's less of a push, but there's starting to be more like, let's say, Haredi colleges or programs that will teach you sort of more technical aspects. Like I start to, I'm starting to notice more like women doing ultrasound technicians and like getting more into like medical fields, like nursing and things like that. And I think that's a positive thing, you know, that they're starting to, you know, people are interested in biology, especially like ultrasounds and things like that. So it's, it's of interest uh, for people to do, for women to do, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in terms of you taking an interest in the dangers of sugar, so, I mean, I would say society at large has a sugar problem. Um, I mean, I think <laughs> right. the U.S., I think in the U.S., um, just the obesity is, I don't have any statistics, but I think off the charts. Um, right. But then there's also the question of, um, I think sort of in from society, um, there's a lot of sort of like opportunities to eat sweets. Like every time there's a simcha or every time someone finishes right. a piece of Torah or every Shabbos party. I mean, my daughter in school actually had her first Coke that was handed to her by a Rebbe. He was, you know, giving out treats for, you know, answering questions correctly. And she right. had not Coke in our house and her first soda and now she loves it. And okay, I love it too. We try to limit it to only Shabbos. Um, but still she got her first <laughs> of soda from a rabbi. Um, so I guess sort of what's what's the interest in sugar? Um, and how do you think um, sort of from society compares to sugar problems versus the world at large? 
I think that, um, yeah, so every, there's a sugar problem everywhere in Israel and the U.S. Actually, Israel in, is right after the U.S. in terms of like obesity and diabetes were a close second. I think in like Mexico where we complete the three. Um, okay. So, yeah, so it's an issue. Um, it's an issue everywhere. And you're right. It's like a societal uh, problem because, you know, for Simcha's everything. But I think it's an additional problem because we want to motivate our children so much to learn that the Rebbe's, you know, and the teachers will be, will be use it as a tool. So, okay, you've learned the Mishnayot. Okay, great. You know, like, you know, if you learn three, then I'll give you a treat, you know, right. and, and we're passing out, you know, chocolates and whatever. And it's, it's totally in the school system that they have to give them rewards all the time for everything that they learn. So um, I think there is a shift a little bit towards you can also give like um, prizes, like cheap prizes, like yeah. they say pras shekel, like a prize that will cost you a shekel. Right. And so sometimes that, that is used because there is a little bit more awareness about it. But, it. but it's a huge problem. And the problem is, is that, you know, we want our kids to learn. And when, when a kid is in, eating a sugary treat, so let's say he's just learned well. Then the, the Rebbe is going to give him a treat. So the Rebbe is now doing in his brain or in this, this child's body the exact opposite of what he wants. Okay, he wants him to continue learning. And in a sense, he's actually pausing or stopping the learning. And I'll explain the issue is, okay, this kid is going to get a sugar high. He's mm -hmm. going to get a sugar low, and then he's going to start losing focus as his sugar levels are dropping. Mm -hmm. It's also at the same time, if he's eating a lot of sugar, you know, we have like a finite calories that we're going to eat in a day. And so the more percentage that sugary foods are taking up, you know, like the old adage, don't spoil your dinner, because it means if you're eating more sugary things, then maybe you're not, the kid's not going to eat his sandwich, you know, or whatever he brought for lunch because he's enjoying his, you know, chips and whatever he got as a treat. And so then we end up in a situation of also, you know, lack of vitamins. And, and just as a neuroscientist, to make one brain connection, you, can, you need as many as like 57 combinations of vitamins, minerals, amino acids. And so you start getting into this like vicious cycle of like your Rebbe just caused you to like, you know, sort of get on maybe in a few hours, in a half hour to be unfocused. And to sort of like ruin your nutrient content, <laughs> which like every food that we put in our mouth is an opportunity to get more nutrients, which we need. And so it's, you know, and they don't know it. And that's what we're trying to do here is to like, you know, raise the awareness that every food is an opportunity to get what we need to get optimal brain function. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So you wrote this book, Sugar High, recently, a children's book. So can you tell us um, what was the motivation behind writing this? When did it come out? What type of reception are you receiving? Right. So I originally wrote the book in 2012. So now we're, you know, about six years later and it didn't get accepted anywhere. And it also wasn't my first children's book. So that's the other issue of perseverance. <laughs> you know, everyone says you fail the first few times before you succeed at something. And um, I wrote it really when my, my oldest child, my, uh, my oldest son turned six. And the reason that happened was at six years of age, my son had always been sort of like maybe the very active child and over curious. And so the Rebbe Nacheder said, okay, 
you know, you should, this kid needs an evaluation for ADD. And at the time, you know, we got really like, whoa, at age of six. Mm-hmm. And I guess I didn't realize it until I had three boys that were over the age of six, that if something happens at the age of six, that the light bulb or the siren goes off in the cheder, you know, like you have to tell this boy to go get an evaluation. And I'm being a little facetious here, but like, it's very pervasive that they have, that they send a lot of kids uh, to get an evaluation. And so I revisited the book a little bit and I, and I, and I, you know, I started to think about in my son, it was six. And so my, also my husband was like, no, you know, my husband also like, you know, tell family secrets. My husband also had Ridlin as a child because it was popular in the U S 30 years ago also. And so he didn't want a, a six year old to be taking it. So we started looking at, at other things mm-hmm. and this particular child. And I want to say this isn't true of all children, when he was um, smaller, every time he had grape juice, a, few, a little bit afterwards, he would throw up. So he, oh. he did have some sort of sugar issue. Mm. And it wasn't, he's not diabetic or anything like that. But as I started to learn, you know, and I don't want to say this, like sugar does not cause ADD. If I say sugar causes ADD, then I'm going to get like hate mail or whatever right now. Right. And the reason is, is because it's not true. Okay, but what sugar does do is that it causes conditions in the body that mimic symptoms of ADD. Okay, Mm -hmm. and that can be when your sugar goes down, then you're unfocused, right? And so then you can get angry and agitated. And actually, this was studied in a prison population, 30% of prisoners that have, you know, of, that have ADD, they have, they get really angry after sugar and it's not a, a glucose issue. It might be like a, you know, insulin issue or something else. Like this is a known fact, but then other things, you know, can also mimic ADD. Like if your kid is lacking sleep, you know, when someone's not sleeping, then you get sort of drunk and unfo- you like, you right. know, you're not focused. And if you're lacking vitamins, then it can also uh, cause a person to be less focused. Mm -hmm. And if you have digestive issues, maybe and your stomach hurts or you have thyroid issues, which is a panel that's always run before you get any psychiatric drug. So there are things, you know, like thyroid issues can change the pace of your body. It can make you hyperactive or it can make you tired. And so I started getting into all these things about like, you know, that, that look like ADD, ADHD, but they're not. And the issue is because I'm a biologist, there's a huge problem in psychiatry that you don't have a blood test to test if a person has ADD or depression or it doesn't matter what. So you're, you're based on questionnaires. So you ask the Rebbe and the Cheder, is this child, you know, sitting still and hyperactive and he'll say no. And then you ask the parent and he's like, okay, well, my kid, yeah, he's sort of hyperactive. And then you go to the doctor And he has his own questionnaire and he's making an assumption based on everybody else's questionnaire. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then at that point, it could be if we don't dig deep enough, you know, that the kid is not sleeping well, that the kid, you know, has a problem with sugar. And Mm -hmm. so it's just, again, to raise the awareness that before we go the route of like, you know, saying a child has something to check all the physiological conditions and to understand that these things, you know, can affect how the child is acting, the foods we're eating, if we're sleeping well, you know, any other, you know, core morbid conditions, you know, digestive issues or whatever that the child may have. And I think that's the most important uh, point here for parents to understand that like, you know, first check it all out, you know, like be thorough um, of what's causing it. So there are kids that they are just get angry after sugar and there are kids that just can't do anything if they didn't sleep well. So, um, be aware of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
Yeah, and that's exactly the point of the book was actually not like you were saying, like your kid's not going to like this conversation. And the point of the book is not to tell parents what they already know. I think parents know that sugar has an issue. And that's why in like the natural fields, people say, you know, like sugar causes ADD because people know it has an effect, right? Mm -hmm. And the issue is not that it has an effect. It's to teach the children the connection that I will act better like I notice that when I have sugar, that I act bad afterwards, that I, there's a bad outcome or I, or I don't learn as well. And so let's make that connection because they want to learn well and they want to be good kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And so let them make the connection that they might have an altered behavior after they eat certain foods. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of long, but that's like really the motivation for the book is for our kids to learn those connections also to understand our body better. And so what kind of a response? Um, you said it came out you know, a number of years ago. Um, have you gotten any feedback or actually also? Let's so the book out. actually, yeah, the book actually only came out right now after the Hagim. So like after Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And from what I understand from U.S. book sales, like it was like almost, you know, it almost all sold out um, what wow. was in the bookstores very quickly. And, um, and then Amazon bought the rest <laughs> and we're still waiting to see, you know, like they, they, I don't know how they pick their books, but they picked up an interest, like, I guess, like a niche market or whatever that they were interested in, in the book. Um, so other than that, you know, I haven't had, you know, feedback, like a parent, like tell me anything cause it's really so new. And so, and I don't know how many people, you know, know about it, even though it's, you know, you know, the plug, it's in all your Jewish bookstores, ever, you know, it's uh, from a reputable publisher from Targum Press. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we're waiting to hear <laughs> also that, that it had a good impact and that kids learn from it. Okay, so people can get it. It's called Sugar High by Maya Le uh, Lebo. It's called Sugar. It's actually longer. I'll do the plug Sugar High, Sugar High, Sugar Low, Sugar Low by Maya Lebo. Uh, it's a tale of how one girl learned that sugar was souring her day. And that's available in Jewish bookstores, um, wherever Jewish bookstores are sold and also on Amazon. Excellent. Yeah. Well, um, although... Children do find sugar sweet. Um, it, it does actually sour their day. So um, I hope that uh, you have continued um, Hatzlacha in getting this message out there. Um, we have about a minute and a half left. Any closing thoughts about like what might be next after this book? Right. So I started to get into the issue of lack of vitamins and how vitamins are foundational. And so we started, I have a partner and we started working with development, developmentally challenged children and also children on the autism spectrum and trying to fight, find the right foundational vitamins for them to sort of increase their success in, in occupational therapies and whatever. And that's something that we're trying to do, really accelerate brain development by just eating right and certain um, targeted vitamins. And that's what we're working on now. And if you, if anybody's interested, you can also contact me um, about, uh, you know, helping autistic children or any developmental delay uh, related to nutrition. It's a very powerful biochemical tool. It's not just, you know, hocus pocus. It has, it affects all our genes at once. And so it's a very important a tool in affecting how we behave and how we learn. So just a plug, if you want to reach us on that note, we're at goodfoodforbrain at gmail.com with the four being the number. So good food, the number four brain at gmail.com. And so we're working on that, an initiative called the New Start 
that we're trying to to help uh, autistic children and children with uh, challenges in development. Amazing, amazing way to use your education and skills to better the community. Um, and uh, we wish you much, much Hatzlacha. Thank you so much. Thank you. And good luck to you guys in raising awareness, right, about all the different sectors and everything. And I love your work and thank you for what you do also. Our pleasure. Um, and thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.